Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Ben Jarowski show as I speak. It's Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. We'll give you the headline of the New York Times. We are not going to be talking about this one, but this one just grinds my gears, as they say. A House panel wants Bannon to be charged. Contempt inquiry over riot, test of power. The Bannon in question is Steve Bannon, former top advisor to Donald Trump. And uh, Trump uh, would pardon Bannon. Uh, and kept it from being prosecuted. And now Bannon, of course, has just given the middle finger to Congress uh, on having to respond to their subpoena. Man, the arrogance of Donald Trump and MAGA is astounding. I know my uh, guest agrees with me, but we're probably not even going to discuss that. So uh, without further ado, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself because there's a lot we want to talk about. So take it away, distinguished guest. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, and she's a columnist for the Sun-Times as well. All right, uh, she speaks her mind, and we have a lot of things for her to speak about today. Uh, Ramana, usually I'm the one giving assignments to Ramana. This time she gave me the assignment to watch Squid Games. I dutifully watched it. Uh, I obsessively watched it, I must confess, Ramana, even as I was rolling my eyes in disbelief at how the show, you know, like they say, the show jumps the shark or goes off the tracks or whatever. I couldn't stop watching it. I'm almost embarrassed. I am. Take almost out of that sentence. I am embarrassed to admit that I am obsessively watching this show. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm going, oh, my God, what a stupid show. And yet, <laughs> and yet, Romana. Anyway, your thoughts about Squid Games. By the way, before we go any further, we're probably going to spoil it, right, Romana? We should say this. We may... Give some spoiler alerts. So I don't know. If you care about that kind of thing, maybe come back to this interview after you've seen the show. Go ahead, Ramona. Yeah. If you if you um, are going to watch the show or want to watch the show, you may not want to listen. But I feel like at this point, everybody who's going to watch Squid Game has watched it because that's all anybody was talking about. Um, I actually started it maybe a week later after everybody started talking about it. And I was just looking at an article and that gave a spoiler away. And I was like, Oh great. Now I know 
<laughs> a secret about it. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't know. What do you not like about it? Or what did you think was stupid? Preposterous. I think stupid is not the, probably a good word. If you were my editor, you would say, Ben, be a little more exact and precise in what you mean. Uh, but uh, preposterous. Uh, it, where a show loses all, it's so preposterous that it loses credibility that I end up sort of laughing at it uh, even as I'm watching it. And that has happened with quite a few TV shows. And I also feel like many TV shows, most serialized TV shows, which I've become started watching since the pandemic, uh, they are squeezing, they're getting more, how do I put this? They're creating more episodes than they have substance for. And so they're just stretching things out, like agonizing long scenes where people are just emoting their innermost you know, feelings because they just got to get that hour worth of material out. I mean, come on, guys. Instead of a nine-part series, just make a four-part series and you'll have a lot of substance. So that's kind of where I come from it in terms of uh, my criticism, Romana. I thought I thought it was a really good show, but I tend to like if I hear about a K drama, you know that means Korean drama. Um, you know how K bands are really popular right now. I I tend to like them. So when I heard about Squid Game and everybody was talking about it, my uh, tween nephews, um, well one of them is a teenager now, he's thirteen. They they started watching it, and then um, you know the biggest Halloween costumes this year are expected to be Squid Game uniforms what the guards wore or what the actual players wore um this the story if anybody is listening and is not going to watch is basically about um a group of people who are down on their luck they get introduced to play this they get invited to play this game where basically they can give up their life like if you lose the game you give up your life and there's like i think there's a series of six games and the uh lead character in the show is a guy who, you know, is gambles and, you know, he got divorced from his wife and lives with his mom. And there's like a backstory where he has this friend and the friend ends up going to a, you know, a really good school and is successful. But he, that guy ends up playing the squid game too, among others who are down on their luck and they're trying to win a certain amount of money. So they play these games and they, you know, when they lose, they die. So each game people are eliminated and the show is actually supposed to be um, a commentary on capitalism and Korean society. And one of the things that I've read and, you know, I've re read a lot of pieces by Korean Americans is that the language, you know, I usually watch um, when I watch a foreign language film or a foreign language show, I watch with subtitles because I think the dubbing is terrible. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I'd rather hear the language and then, you know, the translation. But as someone who um, speaks another language and has watched Indian movies that are translated, I know that they're not always translated exactly the same. So a, what a lot of Korean American um, people are saying is if you can speak Korean, they notice that the subtitles um, basically take, don't really translate um, perfectly. So they said there's a lot of things that get lost by viewers like me who don't speak Korean. So they said like there's this one part where this woman who is part of the games, she's trying to get people to partner with her because there's this one game where they're saying choose the partner. And she says, um, you know, I'm really smart. 
And I think they translated it differently, but a lot of Korean speakers were saying what I've seen. And Ben, I'll send you a link to what I'm talking about. They said, she actually said, you know, I'm actually really smart. I was always really smart, but I never got a chance to go to school. So they took that whole part out and people were saying, you know, that's a commentary on how there's like, you know, a lot of people in Korea who don't have the means to go to school and, you know, they could be street smart or smart in other ways. So they said there's a lot of subtle things like that. I don't even know if they're subtle, but there are things like that that kind of get lost in translation. For me, the part that was like a little distracting was when there's this, ep- there's this part episode where they show a lot of rich, wealthy people. And most of them, I think, are what are English speaking men, white men watching the games. So it turns out there's a lot of rich people who love watching these games from behind the scenes. I thought their um I think I thought their accent or their acting was really bad and I don't know if it was like you know a lot of times in India I don't know how it is in Korea but in India there's very few um you know native English speakers so there's like you know sometimes I feel like when I watch an Indian movie and then all of a sudden there's like a white person in it I mean the acting is like really bad so it's like I feel like they just see some white guy in the coffee shop and they're like hey you want to <laughs> play a bad guy so, I mean, that's how it is in, in India. Like, sometimes you'll see, like, and then sometimes they'll have a bunch of white women dancing around, and you're like, who are they? What do they do? Just grab these women once they got off the airport because they're not really that good. So, it's like, it's a, it's this, I kind of felt like I wondered the same thing. Like, did they just pick random people? And I have to say that there is a character named Ali in it who's Pakistani, and he's supposed to be an immigrant, and there's commentary about him. And, you know, immigrant society, which I thought was pretty interesting because this is a person who's brown and living in uh, Korea. And there was commentary about him being an immigrant or immigrant from another country and being a Pakistani. When he spoke Urdu, I can tell you I understood those parts because I can speak Urdu. And I thought the translation was pretty decent. I thought the mo- I, I thought the show was pretty good. And I'll still stick to Alice in Borderland, which is kind of similar dystopian themes where people are playing games and they get killed. That's a Japanese uh, drama that came out came out earlier this year. I thought it was just as good. So Ben, if you ever want to revisit it, if you can watch Squid Game, you can watch Alice in Borderland. Yeah, so, I might. I may have given it. I uh, watched uh, again in Ramana's urging. Watched uh, one episode. I said, "That's it. I'm not watching this anymore." Uh, but maybe I should. Uh, maybe I was. This was just a bad night for me, and I was not being fair to the show. So I should go back and. Uh, I. You know, it's funny when you were talking about the translation, uh, a couple thoughts popped into my mind. I may have told you, I think I've said this on the air. I told the story. Uh, my wife and I, some point in the pandemic, started watching The Host, which is a Korean movie by the same director who did Parasite. Uh, it's a great flick. I don't know if you've ever seen The Host. Uh, but no, I haven't. It's about this monster that comes out of a river in uh, Seoul, Korea. And uh, it's, I just love that movie. It's, well, you know, you know this, you and I share, we got like kind of like a scary, we like scary movies. And uh, so this is a monster scary movie. But the problem was it was dubbed. And it was dubbed, it is a joke. It is so preposterous, in my humble opinion, to watch a foreign language movie where the actors are. Uh, dubbed where and so they're speaking English so their mouths are moving one way they're saying something else and you're right the acting is terrible the voicing is terrible I mean just it's it's it is like it's like that Woody Allen made a parody of one um uh, many years ago uh what's up Tiger Lily and so it's like a parody and yet that's how great the host is 
but you get a kick out of this. So my wife and I are watching it. We're watching on a disc that came through the mail from Netflix because we're ancient. We still get movies that way. And besides, the host was not available streaming at that time. And all of a sudden, there was a flaw in the disc. And so we it was at the crucial moment. The movie froze. We couldn't watch it, <laughs> Romana. So we were like desperate. And my wife went to her uh, cell phone and found a... Uh, a version of the host on the internet for free that was dubbed in Urdu. Oh, that's so great. I'm watching, but with English subtitles. No, I don't even think they had the sub. We were just like, we want to see what happened. So this is how desperate we were to watch the last five minutes. So not only are they speaking in a language, the, the, the lips are moving in a language that I can't read because I don't speak Korean. They're speaking Urdu, which I... I don't speak that either, and it looks even it looked just as preposterous with the characters speaking or doing as they do English. So yeah, I'm with you 100 percent subtitles. I thought when those I liked the part a lot that the uh, like the evil people behind the scenes who were um, getting off on these horrific games in which people have to kill each other to survive and get the money, um, but the the people getting off on them were foreigners. I guess they were Brits, Americans. So, but this notion of white men uh, being entertained by the slaughter of Koreans uh, was a very telling point. And so that was, that was like the part of a movie that I was like, oh yeah, man, that was a good twist. But you're so right. When those guys talked, it was, it was like going back and watching uh, the host with English dubbed or air do dubbed, it's so it was so bad. The acting was so bad. I was like, "Is this is this a joke within the movie? A joke within a joke?" I mean, you're right. They couldn't find some English speaking guy in Korea who could act better than that. Yeah, yeah. I and I think I I, I was googling. I've seen articles actually about that too, about how bad the actors were. And then somebody said that they're actually they. I don't think they're. I don't think they're Korean. Somebody said that there are Korean actors who were speaking in English, but I don't think so. I think they were actual because they were. They looked white. They were white people, and I, so I just feel like they're just people that they grabbed on the street. So there's been articles about that too. Like how come you know the acting's great by the Korean actors, and all of a sudden when they show these like guys who are watching the games, it just got really bad. I don't know. Were, weren't you intrigued by at least the storyline of? the two brothers, like one brother's a cop and he's looking yes. for his brother who won the game. And then he, and then, you know, you see a backstory about that. I think that second season is going to focus on that. And then, you know, this is a spoiler alert, but the old man, the secret of him being the creator of the games. I, I actually accidentally read an article about that when I started reading about squid games. So that kind of ruined it for me, but. Um, I, I did not see that coming. And I got to tell you, man, Sometimes these critics, so I, I, okay, I won't, I very rarely read uh, a critique of a movie or a TV show before I see it, because I just don't want to, um, I don't want to have it spoiled, yeah, you know what I'm saying, I, I just want to have it a, like, as real an experience as I can, but I will read the headlines, and I'll, re I'll see, like, in the case of Richard Roper, he'll give it stars, so like you and I have a conversation, I go, oh, this movie may be good. Roper gave it four stars, that kind of thing, you know. But I won't read it because yeah. I don't want to be, you're right, tainted or so. 
Um, so, but after Squid Game, so I have to say for all my complaining, fetch, fetching about good games, I was certainly obsessed by it. I watched it every night when I was, okay, like sometimes two episodes a night. So I think this is a case of the lady does protest too much. Anyway, and then I read all these articles about it and there were the New York Times critics who I'm getting to. He was so smug, Ramon. He was like, well, I saw this coming. I, you know, this was so obvious. And one of the things he saw coming was that the old man was the, the, the guy, the boss behind the squid gaze. I'm like, come on. My wife and I like, you didn't see that. Don't make that no. up. <laughs> I, only, I only saw it coming because I read it somewhere before I was I saw that part. But I would never have seen it coming because, you know, you see this feeble old man who wets himself before the games. And he is actually really sick, this old man. It turns out he's a rich man. And he just joins the game because he said, I got so bored watching. I wanted to be part of it. And so... I think that's telling too. Um, you know, I, I guess that was talking about the haves and the have-nots, and how the really rich—they're so bored they'll like do anything to get their, you know, to get off, so to speak. So um, I don't know. I, I thought it was it was a good show. I just I just found it intriguing that of all the shows that we get from overseas, and especially um, you know East Asia, like that was the one that caught on because I've seen a lot of other ones that are just equally as good, but. I like Squid Games. I it, it's interesting how it it just took off and and you just people were just binging it. I guess it's it's kind of like a Tiger King. Like you know, every once in a while there's a show that pops up and all of a sudden everybody's watching it. And that's what Squid Game was. Well, I gotta and, say this now, uh, Squid Games. There's a lot of there's so much violence in uh, Squid Games that it's 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 just like you get a, a nerd to it after a while. And so it's just literal slaughter. So again, it's a game where you're, uh, there was 400, it was at 456, is that his number? 456 contestants. And yet 455 will die. And one will emerge. And so you see 455 people die in this movie. And they're killed in various means. Uh, plunging a great from uh, great heights to their death, mostly gunned down, uh, a lot of just random machine gun gunning down hordes of people, uh, shot in the head with a pistol, a lot of death in this movie, stabbed with a knife. And and I just want to say, it was, you might say it was gratuitous violence, and I just want to say all you people out there who hate on Quentin Tarantino, QT, because you say he's got that gratuitous violence, where is the outrage over this? This is like, to me, this movie was, how do I put this, hugely influenced by Quentin Tarantino, which is only natural because he himself has been hugely influenced by movies that come out of Korea. It, it, uh, okay, you, out of Korea. Go ahead. Yeah, you can defend Quentin Tarantino all you want, but with this, <laughs> with this show, there was, the female characters are really strong. He usually does yeah. not have that. He usually just has them taking off their shoes and just saying <laughs> nothing. Um, these these women, uh, they're, they fleshed out the female characters and they actually kind of made a lot of the female characters strong. They actually said, um, I was reading an article about how um, there was a reason why, you know, it was men who created these games. It, it pointed out like how men in society kind of screw things over. And, you know, the, they had that one uh, episode where the two young women are uh, talking to each other and they join a game together. That was kind of to show the female bond that a lot of women have, like friend, female friendship. So 
I would argue that Quentin Tarantino does not have the same the same insight into a lot of female characters. Maybe with Kill Bill, it's a little different, but in general, when he has female characters, they're usually just taking off their shoes. Well, okay, that and that's um, this. We're continuing <laughs> a debate that we've had now for two years. <laughs> yeah, two we, years. We, 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 that's once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, and you're not the only person that said that. Who was just saying this to me? Uh, obviously, it was a woman, uh, and we were having a, a Quentin Tarantino conversation. Uh, and she talked about how the Sharon Tate character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood didn't that it was embarrassing that she didn't get enough lines. But and all I can say in defense of Quentin Tarantino, which I don't even know why I feel compelled to defend this guy because he's hugely successful. He doesn't mean you need to defend him. But his greatest movie, in my humble opinion, uh, is all about a very strong, powerful woman, and that of course is Jackie Brown, which came out in nineteen ninety-seven. Oh. Starring the great, fantastic, fabulous Pam. Oh yeah, Greer. I, I admit I didn't see that. One. I heard it was great. I did like Kill Bill too. Yeah, in Kill Bill, and then um, Inglorious Bastards. God, we're on a total tangent. You know, it's funny because we, we go over what we're going to talk about, and like in this case, we did not. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. You know, the, you, uh, what's that? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Susanna, we did bring Tarantino first. Yes, I did. It's my fault. But um, anyway, uh, but I just kept thinking, I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking, man, this is like a Quentin Tarantino movie. They're just like slaughtering people. And and they kind of got off, Romana, on the on the stylized slaughter. Did you notice that? Like bodies splaying and blood splurting and <laughs> like, goddamn. My, my younger sister recommended my 13-year-old nephew to watch. And so my older sister, who's the 13 year old's mom walked by and she's like, she called my sister and she goes, why would you have him watch the show? It's so violent. But he ended up watching it and discussing. And my, my 12 year old nephew watched it with his father, who's my brother. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's really, it's gotten really popular. So yeah, it is violent. We definitely, we told them, we told my siblings, it's a little violent, but. I, I it was even worse. Uh, so it was my whole family in Los Angeles was gathered around a TV uh, and that's my daughters, my uh, son-in-law, my wife, and my newly born infant granddaughter uh, <laughs> who was nursing. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be good for this kid, you know, <laughs> machine guns. Anyway, Squid Games. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have to admit I watched it. And so I thank you for telling me to watch it. I don't know if I would have. Uh, and now... Um, we're waiting for Squid Games too, because the way it ends, it's pretty clear, Romana, that there's going to be a Squid Games too. Do you agree with me? They haven't announced it, but it sure looks like they set it up for that. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think they're going to focus it from. I think what I read and what I kind of figured it's going to be focusing on the brothers' relationship and the man who ends up there, the police officer and the contestant. Now that's something else. Since we're giving spoilers, let's give them. Um, there's a, okay, so the, as everybody who's seen the movie know, or the TV show knows, uh, the contestants in this uh, life or death struggle are sent to this island off the coast of Korea somewhere, and uh, they're cut off from society. No phones, nobody knows they're there. And so there's a police officer who gets wind of these games and uh, sneaks aboard the boat that takes the contestants to the island. And then he is sneaking around the games, uh, disguised as a guard, et cetera. Uh, and 
he's really one of the most compelling characters. And I don't know, I thought he was a really compelling uh, lead actor type. Would love to see him uh, in a lead movie. Um, really movie star qualities this guy has. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he's killed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You killed this guy? It's, But I got his, I don't know. This is the part where you don't actually see him dead. You see him shot. So do you think there's a possibility that they're going to pull a stunt, Romana, where you think he's dead, but he's going to rise from the dead and come back into uh, Squid Games 2? You think he's going to come back? That is a possibility because he didn't get shot in the head, did he? So maybe. Uh, yeah. I think it was, a, you're right. I think it was more of a shot that hit him uh, in the like shoulder area. <laughs> yeah. So he might, he might still be alive. We'll see. We, might, we will see. Anyway, uh, Squid Games, fascinating story. Uh, and it's supposed to be a great critique of capitalism. And the second episode is the one that's the most uh, direct critique of capitalism because the contestants are given an opportunity to leave the game. So they leave this game where they're facing death and they go back to their regular lives, which are just so filled with torment and violence. And they're so victimized by society that won't give them a break, no health care, no money, living in destitution, being chased down by gangsters, they're so hopeless and helpless that they decide to go back to the game. So capitalist society is itself more destructive than the Squid Game. That, I guess, is the critique of capitalism, right? Then it kind of faded, though, right? I mean, okay, it was sort of like that was chapter two. Where's the critique of capitalism now? I don't know. Did you, there's another criticism of it. What do you think of that, Romano? No, I like I said, I think we lost a lot in translation. Like there's little like parts of the dialogue that I don't think that's what a lot of people who speak Korean were saying is that it just takes a lot out. Like the little things that they're talking about, like the one character was from North Korea and they said, mm -hmm. like, if you can speak Korean, you can tell that her dialect was totally different. The way they made her talk, it, it you know, her dialect was completely different and you and I don't speak Korean. So I don't know. A lot of people said that you did lose a lot from, even though it was like, you know, words, like a few words here and there, they said that there was a lot more um, critique of capitalism with the translation. So I think we, we missed on some of it. So yeah, I don't know. Overall the theme, I guess we could see it's a critique on capitalism, but yeah, we probably missed little bits and pieces and, you know, we obviously could, it's it, for, for me, it was like a show about human nature and what people will do to survive. Um, you know, that one character, um, that one episode, I think six, where you see a lot of beloved characters, like, get off. And, you know, everybody's just like, whoa, you know, like what people will do. So I thought it was like a, I also thought it was a critique on just human nature as well. Uh, all right, let's move from Squid Games to Sky Games, uh, the Chicago Sky, where, uh, where victorious to beat the Phoenix Mercury on Sunday. Uh, to win the WNBA championship, the first championship in the city of Chicago since the Cubs of 2016. We don't get a lot of sports championships around here, Ramona. You know I'm an obsessive sports fan, so it was a really big deal. I have to admit, I have not been a longtime Sky fan. I, I follow them from afar, uh, and uh, but this year I got into them, a lot of compelling characters on the team, and I watched the whole series 
against the mercury enjoyed it uh, there was a lot of ups and downs i was really excited i was watching with my daughters uh, who played basketball and i coached them and uh, it was just a great moment and um so disappointed and i'd love to get your response about this and i, I wrote about this on the coverage uh, especially my beloved bright one everybody knows i love the sun times so don't get down on me sometimes i subscribe to the sun times all right guys paying helping pay the bills but i just thought you know if you read the sun times uh sports section it's just a reversal of the front section of tabloids so you flip it over and you know as i said it's like reading uh hebrew it goes the opposite and the way quran. and the quran and yeah it's like reading the quran and the torah and i so it's like the back page. I thought there was going to be a big picture of Candace Parker, you know, crying and hugging her teammates or whatever. It's a picture of Aaron Rodgers, Aaron freaking Rodgers, who played, doesn't even play in Chicago. He's a Green Bay Packer quarterback because the Bears played the Packers on Sunday. Nine pages of Bears coverage. Ramana, I'm positioned in this is that we are too obsessed with the Bears in this town, number one. And number two, Women's sports does not get the respect it deserves. And I don't know why that. I mean, I have a feelings. You know what I mean? I have a sense of why that is. But the two things together really got me irritated. And so I did a rant uh, in the reader newsletter about it, uh, just saying how disappointed I was that nine pages, nine pages, ladies and gentlemen, about the Bears and then one page about the sky, who won a world championship. And all the Bears did was lose, play a miserably lousy game. They were horrible. <laughs> and they lost again to Green Bay. Am I being unfair, uh, Ramana, with um, my rank? Well, well, okay, to defend the Sun-Times, because I work there, I the first thing I'll say, it was, on, it was on the front page, the actual front page of the paper. I think the sky were the lead story when they won on Monday. So I think that was probably the argument I'm thinking. I w I don't work on Sundays, but the cover wasn't the front page cover. The Scott, yeah. So they figured why put it on on the other. They're probably thinking like why put it on the back page of the sports section. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm someone who doesn't really read the sports pages. But from my husband, McDumkey, your friend does. And every day when we're eating dinner, I have to hear him talk about why we cover the bears so much. And I told him when we got married a couple of years back, he told me he used to turn on the bears game sometimes. And he always told me he didn't really like the, on the NFL and didn't care that much about the bears. But he's like, well, if you talk to anyone in this town, you have to know about the bears. And I told him not really. I mean, I walk around, I don't talk to everybody about the bears. I don't even care about the bears. I mean, I, I, I do care when they're in the Super Bowl, but otherwise I don't pay attention. I don't like football period. He, my husband likes college football. So I have heard him complain about why he's like, why do you guys cover like the bears? Like there's like 10 pages on the bears. Like when baseball season starts, he goes, it's still about the bears. I guess our readership cares about the bears, but I agree. I don't know why we have to do like a hundred pages on the bears, but I'm sure our sports, our sports writers might disagree and people who like the bears disagree. But um, I, I, I don't even pay attention to the sports sections, so I wouldn't even know that. But I do I do think women's sports, I mean, that's just a given. Like, I think in, in general, I mean, this isn't just women in sports. 
this is a problem everywhere, right? Since the beginning of time, women have kind of been always getting the short shrift on everything. So of course, nobody's watching the WNBA, me included. But I did, I did, I did think it was very cool that they won. I'm sure a lot of young women who play basketball were following this. Um, you know, we talked about Jewel Lloyd, who grew up in the same town that I did in Lincolnwood. Um, you know, that was amazing. Like the Olympics, like, I think people pay attention to like women's sports now in the Olympics. So hopefully they'll translate. Um, the WNBA um, was started in 1996. And I think since then has gained more visibility. Um, I, you know, I don't think that that many people talked about the Chicago Sky or the WNBA until more recently. And um, Mick was telling me the salary that they make, the women make, um, and they don't make it that much compared to their um, male competitors. But I hope, you know, that changes through the years. I mean, you do see some difference. So I hope like in, in the years to come, people watch the WNBA as much as they watch the NBA, myself included. But I'm someone who doesn't even really watch the NBA myself. So if I did, I, if I did watch the NBA, I definitely would go out of my way to watch the WNBA because I think, it's, I think it, it is important to support female sports and to show young girls that women can do all these things that, you know, men are doing and get, you know, get equal coverage. And fine, you can complain about the Sun-Times and the Bears, but we do have a Sky reporter, which, yes. you know, we didn't have before. Annie Costabal. So uh, let yeah, me just Annie say Costabal. this. Uh, so the front uh, page of the Sun-Times that day uh, to, uh, to to defend the bright one, there is a big picture of uh, jubilant Sky players. And it says Sky Town. But then... Just to make sure that their men listeners, their men readers, don't get nervous. Oh, guys, don't worry. There's a picture of the of the of Aaron Rodgers. What the Sun Times loves about Aaron Rodgers? Sometimes the guy didn't even live in Chicago. He's a cheesehead, but they got the picture there. So men readers are like, Phew. I mean, I gotta read about women. Look, good. And then they turn it over. There's that big picture. Go, go get it, boys. I'm gonna tell you this. Ramana, you're 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 absolutely correct. Uh, there's a lot of potential for the WNBA to grow, and I think I got this theory. I'm going to trot it out. This is the first time I've ever trotted it out. Get your response to this. So much about so much sports uh, is written and edited. Sports coverage is written and edited by men who grew up loving sports, but weren't good enough to excel at it. And so a lot of his fantasy, follow me in this, Ramada, see where I'm, I'm, I don't even know where I'm going with this and, and see if you, it's fantasy. So you got a, a sports writers covering at great detail a game that he probably wishes in his heart of hearts. I know I'm speaking for myself. I'd love to be an NBA player. You know, but I, I sucked. I, I'm never going to be an NBA. I never was going to be an NBA. I could barely dribble. So, you know, a lot of it's fantasy. You can't. So a guy who's obsessively writing or thinking or talking about guys playing sports can also like kind of fantasize. If you do that, you can't do that with women. You know what I'm saying? The guys who write these stories, they're not fantasizing. They're playing women's basketball. So. I, I think there's an element of that going on. It's like guys doing their little guy thing and uh, women just aren't part of that world. But if women start supporting 
women's sports in big numbers. Like I get a feeling the WNBA is there, Ramana. There were so many young women I know who went to the game, put pictures of it on their Facebook page, you know, or texting back and forth about it. They're really in like all my daughters and their friends, they want sky t-shirts and sky hats. Now, if that catches on, then I don't know, they're going to have to hire more women writers and women editors. You know what I mean? And some of the guys will have to change their attitude about women's sport. Cause that was a hell of, I know you're not a basketball fan, but that was great basketball that the sky played. It's just different pacing than the NBA. Anyway, that's my theory. What's your thoughts? No, I, I agree. But you know, you're talking about, um, you know, we were, I was talking about how nobody really paid attention to the WNBA. And I think more recently they have, um, I took my, uh, me and my younger sister took my, our uh, younger nephews to a, a ghost and gangsters tour for Halloween. It was a walking tour in the city and we walked by the art Institute and the art Institute lions had uh, sky jerseys on. This is before Sunday. So I actually, from far away, I thought there were socks jerseys. I'm like, Oh, look, I pointed it out to my nephews. I'm like, Hey, they're socks jerseys. And then when they came closer, like, no, it's sky jerseys. So you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's changing. And I think you are right. Okay. I admit I'm, I'm a stereotypical female in the sense that I like sports but I don't want to spend my day watching sports um, on TV and I don't watch it like you or my husband or my brother does. And I don't care that much about the way, the way you guys care about sports and I don't read the sports section, but I have to tell you um, as a woman who's kind of flipped through the sun times um, sports section, at least a couple of years ago, the way the pages are laid out, they're not really geared towards women you know, or like straight women, I want to say it's like when I used to like flip through the pages, there would be like ads for like erectile dysfunction, strip clubs. And those, you know, it's like clearly they're marketing it towards a certain demographic. So someone like me and then when you go to a sports game, it's definitely targeted towards heterosexual males. I mean, you go to a game and there's cheerleaders. I mean, it's just like it's geared toward like a straight male point of view. It's, and that's how it's always been. And, you know, my husband always goes, well, I know women who like football. Cause I told him, I go, I don't know any woman who wants to go to a football game on a, a weekend. And he's like, well, he, I know women. And then he starts telling me about people in his family and some other random women. And, and I go, well, my friends don't want to spend their evening or their day watching a football game. And I like sports. I mean, I, I'll go to a Cubs game, but I admit, I don't want to go to like, you know, I don't want to go to too many baseball games either, but I'm just saying, I just think the sports world and even like you're talking about the, the, the newsroom, they're all males um, and mostly white males. It's kind of changing now, but you'd go to the sports section um, at the Sun-Times and even the Tribune at some point. It's a little different now, but I would say 90% of or 99.9% .9 of the staff is male. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a few more female sports writers at the Sun-Times and they either left or got laid off. And now I think Annie... Um, is the only female sports writer at the Sun Times. We had a, we used to have a couple of columnists like Carol Slezak, and then um, there was another woman who used to also write. There's two or three women. So um, I, I think I think that sports world. I know you're talking. About, I think it's all just always been geared towards straight men. 
And so it's never been marketed like the general sports. It's never been marketed towards women or for women to like. I mean, I guess now they, you know, make jerseys in pink to try to get the women to watch. But it's still geared towards men. And I think the WNBA, I think, you know, like I said, I didn't watch it, I admit. But I do think, you know, young girls who like your daughters who play basketball, they're paying attention. And I think other girls like, you know, I have I have young nieces. I have two nieces who are um uh, nine years old and I have a older niece who's 27 and you know, the world they're coming in is quite different than the world I'm, I came up in so they're seeing the sky win this championship and every, the city celebrating I think I'm glad they had a celebration for them I mean I looked at the crowds um, you know while they were on their tour on their buses and it was definitely a different amount of people out there than there would have been for another you know all male sports team but you know there's coronavirus I still think it was a pretty strong turnout like looking at the young girls and the pictures that we had in the Sun Times of the fans of the young fans it was really hopeful and the little girls seemed very enthusiastic and we talk about representation having females in playing sports is really strong and it's really important so I think either even symbolically like even though I haven't watched the WNBA um, I think it's um, at least made me step back and think like maybe I need to watch a couple games or go to a couple games and I had friends too who were actually at the game on Sunday too as well I saw them on Facebook so there are people going to the games as well oh yeah it was it was a sellout and uh, no I, I and I'll tell you what uh, Annie Casabile has done a great job and she I gotta give us sometimes credit for this they assigned uh, a staffer to cover the sky and I was just smiling because I I read a lot of her. She does a lot of profiles in the Saturday sometimes. Every Saturday, the Sun-Times has a whole sports section. They hope they like the sports section takes over the regular paper. And it's, as a sports addict, I really love that. And they allow their writers to do some long form. Uh, they, they're like reader's length stories. Like they take their, they, they, they give them some space to play with. So I give us sometimes credit for that. And Andy's been writing about the sky all years. So I, I know about these players and it was just funny, like the male sports writers in the aftermath are writing about stuff. I'm like, Andy wrote about that two months ago, guys, you know, and they're like, did you know that there's a married couple on the sky? I go, yeah, because I read the Sun Times. Sorry. So she does a good job. I don't want to th- make it seem like we're overlooking her. Uh, but yeah, I do believe that was a turning point. Romana. And uh, I'm not saying that a year from now, if the sky are back in the playoffs, you will be watching it, but there's a chance. You know what I'm saying? And it's like you get caught up in the drama of the playoff and the way it works. You know this from following baseball is that you're really behind your team. You only you got to win uh, three out of five in, in uh, the WNBA. In the NBA, it's four out of seven. But you lose a game, uh-oh, you're nervous. You win a game, you're jubilant. And you lose a game, uh-oh. And then, you know what I mean? You got those ups and the downs, and that's how a, a championship series can really grab you and, and, and captivate you. And I got a feeling that, like, if you allow yourself to get sucked in uh, to the sky, you'll be like, when's that next sky game? And we can't... Uh, we can't arrange to do anything at seven o'clock on a Friday because the sky is playing, you know, like they went back in the day with the bulls. I don't know if you remember that, but that's how it was. With no, the I, I totally remember that. Um, no, I, I think basketball is actually an exciting game. Like football, I completely don't understand at all. I don't understand the appeal. Basketball, I totally understand the appeal. It's just that I'm not going to be somebody that is going to be like, hey, let's not go out today because 
you know, basketballs on TV. I know you are. I think, I think you might. If you, but if you like every single sports team, like my husband does, and you're never going to go out. (laughs) So I would like to go out. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, you know, my, my brother's exact, my brother says that he doesn't pay attention to certain games, but he's watching, he pays attention to everything. Like he doesn't like college sports, but he knows, he says he doesn't like college sports, but he knows everything that's happening. So he pays attention. So I'm just saying, if you like sports that much, you're never going to go out. Well, here, here's the thing about sports. And um, your brother and I and your husband, are we're all cut from the same cloth. Once you've, if you've grown up sports obsessed, it's like a language. I'm going to, it's like feeling like a Stevie Wonder song. We all understand that's a Stevie Wonder song. But anyway, it is a language, literally, that you understand and comprehend. And all you need is a snippet. You hear it. So you can't, you don't even follow college football, but you just hear a snippet and you know exactly. And it's not that complicated, by the way. Sports, not that complicated, all right? And uh, so that's why your brother's absolutely correct. You could follow sports without even watching the game. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so, for instance, just out of nothing, I know that the Chicago Blackhawks lost last night. I'm not a hockey fan. I haven't watched a hockey game in years. I don't even read uh, the coverage of hockey unless it's the sex scandal that the Blackhawks are involved in, which is a remarkable stories in many ways, really a revealing story. But I know, you know what I mean? I know they lost. They lost. I think it was four to one. I even know the score, Ramana. That's pretty pathetic. And it's just because, like your brother, you know, it's like a sixth sense out there. So that's my prediction. But at this time next year, ladies and gentlemen, Ramana Hussein will be watching the sky and should be wearing a sky t-shirt. Or you might buy one for your uh, niece or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. All right. Let's move on to a story that you alerted me to. And uh, this one here has got me shaking my head. Katie Kirk, who I've been finding more and more annoying as time goes on. Uh, the long time, what is it, NBC uh, uh, news personality, uh, had a revelation about her interview with uh, former Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ramana, why don't you explain to folks uh, what she revealed? Go ahead. So I believe Katie Couric has a new book that's coming out. And so in the book, she reveals that she wanted to protect Ruth Bader Ginsburg about comments she made about Colin Kaepernick's protest and his kneeling. Um, Apparently, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, as we all know, has passed away, so she can't really defend herself. But Katie Couric said that um, she said that, you know, Colin Kaepernick's protest of kneeling when the national anthem was played was dumb and disrespectful. And she said that she wouldn't jail him for that. But she just said that, you know, she just said that she didn't agree with it. And, you know, she made some sort of comment about how the flag represents like the freedom that we all enjoy right now. So Katie Couric said that she didn't want that to be like let out because, you know, obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been revered by so many people. And so that her saying that it it, it was I think it kind of made people step back. Um, you know, somebody could say that, well, maybe it wasn't relevant to the interview that she was doing, but I personally think that this was a topic that everybody was talking about. I think it's important for her as a journalist to get it out there. I think if she 
respects her that much or like puts her on that pedestal, then maybe she shouldn't have interviewed her or had someone else else handle the interview and what excerpts they wanted out there. Um, a couple of years ago, I interviewed Ted Nugent, as, as you know, and you probably know his politics, but I remember he, uh, for, to describe Japanese people, he was talking to me about something and he used, and he used the word, he actually used the term Jap to describe Japanese people. And I remember I was taken aback and the story I was doing had nothing to do with um, his comments on Japanese people, but that's something that stuck in my head. And, and I always think that if there was a story that was relevant to what he was talking about, yeah, I'd put that in there. I didn't put it in there because this, this story was about him playing his a concert, like in some suburb. But I remember that kind of just stuck in my head. And I would think that if I ever did a piece on Ted Nugent, that would come out. I don't, I don't think I would hold back on something like that. Um, I think, I think Katie Couric, like if, she, like I said, if she like, you know, looked up that much to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, maybe she shouldn't have been dealing with that interview. I know she does a lot of like light ball, you know, not in light, not in lighthearted, but I mean, a lot of like, she'll do interviews with a lot of celebrities and that's a little different, but I don't know. I think it's a, it's a relevant topic that we've been talking about for the longest time. And Colin Kaepernick, you know, obviously was stopped playing that, you know, because of what he did because of his protests, he was taken out, you know, he basically, he was fired from the NFL, wasn't he? Or I don't yeah. know technically what the term is, but well, he stopped I, I, playing. He was blacklisted, like you could say. Yeah, he was blacklisted. Exactly. And so I don't know, I think it's important to think to get, you know, to see what Ruth Bader Ginsburg is saying, whether it's popular or not, you know, don't interview that person then. I, that's the way I see it. I'm not saying that I don't look up to people. I mean, Paul McCartney, I don't know if you read the New Yorker piece on him that came out a couple of days ago, but he basically said that the Rolling Stones, he called the Rolling Stones. I think Paul McCartney, you know, he knows his days are numbered. He's been kind of going off a couple of days ago. He said it was John Lennon who broke the band up. And then in this New Yorker piece, he says the Rolling Stones were a blues cover band. Now, I mean, if you're interviewing Paul McCartney and he says that and you know that there's always been like not necessarily a rivalry within the Beatles and Rolling Stones, but the fans have always seen a rivalry. So Paul McCartney says that you're going to put that in the article, aren't you? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of parts of this, you know, parts of the interview you don't put in, but I would think that would be crucial. So, yeah, as journalists, we do have a tendency to pick and choose what we put in articles. But Katie Kirk specifically said that she was doing this to protect Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which makes me think that she knew that this was newsworthy, but chose not to put it out there. Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. Uh, she knew. You're absolutely correct. Uh, she knew that if she had put that out there, that would be what got covered. It would all it would be about. Ruth Ginsburg's and this is my bias antiquated views of race, protest, black athletes, the military. I don't even know what the military has to do with it anyway, by the way, we go on and on. Because this is a topic I feel very passionate about. And I was so disappointed when I read Ruth Bader Ginsburg's views of it. And I... You know, I know a lot of people of her generation, so I'm not surprised that she had those views, you, you know, but and 
I'm not saying that her views on Colin Kaepernick completely outweigh the great life that she had and the significant uh, contributions she made to uh, women's rights and affirmative action and all the other rulings she made on the Supreme Court. But it was embarrassing from my, my perspective. It's like, listen to someone from her generation talk about race. And so it would have dominated. You're right. And it, it may have dominated to the point where it was mentioned in uh, her obituaries, which Oh yeah, and for the, sure. The liberal press were, oh, you know, very complimentary. You get what I'm saying? Part of her legacy, like Colin Colin Powell's legacy, is was really damaged by the speech he gave at the United Nations, uh, trying to get the country to support the war, the invasion of Iraq. So you're right, and that's why she did it. But I'm with you as a journalist. You gotta, I think you should tell the truth. You know, you gotta put that in there. Uh, that was embarrassing all along. Thought, Thanks for turning me on to that story. I don't know how I missed it. Uh, when you first sent it to me, uh, I didn't know what you were talking about. And I just wrote back <laughs> to you, she's annoying as hell. And then I, I looked, I Googled her and I'm like, oh my God. Um, all right, uh, let's close with this. We don't have a whole lot of time, but uh, we talked about it at length in our pre-show. Uh, <laughs> conversation. It's funny that at the end, it's just that so much other stuff going on. Dave Chappelle, you finally got around to uh, watching uh, The Closer or Closer. And it's been a big topic of conversation. So Ramon and I tackle it all. So your thoughts on the Dave Chappelle, the latest Dave Chappelle uh, Netflix comedy special? Yeah, um, I, in general, like Dave Chappelle. Do I agree with everything I he says? No. I know he defended Louis C.K., um, I think, in one of his comedy specials. Um, this one, uh, I'm not part of the LGBTQ community, but I can tell why. I, I, I know why they were upset because, you know, he, he, he kind of talks about um, how he doesn't really hate this community. He's not really anti-transgender. And he, you know, he brings up some good points in the beginning. I thought, you know, when he talked about um, the baby, I think I'm probably saying it wrong and how he was um, basically banned from playing Lollapalooza because he had made some remarks about homosexuals, which is wrong. But then he said that the baby also killed a black man at Walmart and nobody was, nobody seemed to have any sort of issues with that. But, you know, he said something that offended certain people and they're like, well, isn't that just as bad? So I thought, I thought that was going in the right direction. But then, you know, he started talking about, you know, a, a lot of the um, transgender community, the LGBTQ community were uh, upset by what JK Rowling had said about the transgender community. And Dave Chappelle basically aligned himself with J.K. Rowling. And then he mentioned um, one of his friends who was a transgender comic. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people felt like, you know, at the end, he says, you know, please leave, leave my people alone. And then it turns out, you know, some people are like, you know, some people might take that as like his, the black community. But it really he's talking about comedians, rich, rich, you know, comedians who are out there, big name comedians. So. I've read some commentary from some, you know, people of color, African-Americans and, you know, people who are part of the LGBTQ community. And they said that they felt like they were erased. So um, there's a lot of people from the 
black community who are part of the LGBTQ community where they're like, you know, he made some good points about how when people, white people in that community, you know, when it comes down to turn around and, you know, they'll become white when they want to and use their white privilege. But there's also people of color and black people in those communities too. So they kind of felt ignored. Um, I just find it interesting that it's, you know, there's so many things, controversial shows that have been placed on Netflix, but that's the one that has really, really gotten a lot of people, and including Netflix employees upset. In fact, they're doing some sort of walkout today at, at the company. I don't know if it's happened yet as we speak, but it's supposed to happen today. So I think, um, you know, one of the things that I always think as a woman, as a Muslim woman, as a South Asian woman, is that I might not necessarily get, um, you know, when people are offended, like by jokes that affect different communities. But I know what it means, like when people tell me that I'm overly sensitive about certain things. I remember I talked to you about John McCain when all a lot of people, especially white people, were going to John McCain's defense and saying how wonderful he was to defend Barack Obama by saying that he wasn't an Arab man. And and a lot of white people are like, oh, yeah, that was so wonderful. Like he was showing what real Americans are. But I said a lot of Arabs and Muslims found it offensive because he was saying that he wasn't an Arab man, but a good man. So what is that trying to say that you can't be an Arab? And for most people in this country, Arab equates Muslim, which is not true because most people who are Middle Eastern in this country are Christian. But that's what the American public thinks. So a lot of um, a lot of people who belong to my community were offended by that remark. And a lot of people who are white are like, oh, you're getting too sensitive and you know, that's part of his generation. And that's how he talks. You know, that's how he talks. And he was actually defending Obama and you're getting a little too. So when I'm listening, I'm trying to listen to the transgender community and why they were offended. I mean, I know you and I were talking about how we do think Dave Chappelle is funny, but there are parts where I could see why it's offensive to certain people. And, you know, a lot of people felt that it was wrong for him to bring up his transgender friend who ended up taking her life. They said it's kind of like when a white person talks about racism and they go, well, I know because I have a black friend. So I think there's just a lot of layers to it. And like I said, I am not part of the transgender community. So I'm trying to understand. I mean, I did think it was funny when he talked about the they and them and the, the pronouns. And he goes, was it? He goes, you know, they're after you. And he goes, do you mean that one day or many they? So I think I think some people who are transgender did laugh at that one. Um, because me as a generation Xer who hasn't, you know, had to use the pronouns they and them for one person, like that's hard for me. And I try to do that. And I try to be respectful to people who want those um, pronouns used. So I don't know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting time. I'd like to see what happens. But I don't, you know, people who are saying that Dave Chappelle's canceled, I don't think he's going to be canceled. I think, I think people are still going to listen to him. Because there are people who are saying that Dave Chappelle did exactly what he was trying to do, you know, by getting, and he's gotten so much attention from it. So I don't think he's going to get canceled. Like some people do. I think people still think, find him really funny. I I've seen people offended by him, but I have to tell you on social media, I've seen a lot of people say they still think it's hilarious and they think that um, he brought up some good points. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think he's going to get canceled. Well, first of all, I can't think of anybody who's ever been canceled. That's just a, that's a whole other. We've had this conversation. This the notion of people getting canceled is it's it's kind of. Uh, I'm just trying to think of any celebrity who's been canceled who hasn't like you know committed a crime. I mean, you know what I mean? It's uh, uh, I have to think about this. Like, and and what even cancel means? Uh, 
you know, that's a whole other issue. But, I, you know, what you said something, Ramana, talking about protests at Netflix over this, and this is the one that's generated the most. And I was, I kind of smiled because it's bringing our, um, our, our conversation topics for today together. We started off talking about the most popular show in the history of Netflix, uh, Squid Games, in which 455 people are casually gunned down. <laughs> And they're like, hey, can we have a Netflix, we can we have a squad a, a Squid Games too, so we can kill more people? Uh, anyway, I I I'm a big fan. I gotta uh, make this confession. I'm a big fan of David Chappelle, and if he puts it on, I'll watch it. I've watched every one of his Netflix specials, and I watched his show. But I believe I told you this already. He's painted himself in a corner in this, and he should back off and admit he's wrong. And uh, what, the, what the concept is, is punching down in comedy. I'm going to give a shout out to your uh, dear friend, uh, Samina Mustafa. We've had this conversation. She's She's been on the show a few times and she's a comedian where she was she's no longer. And she, and she talks about comics who punch down. So they look for targets that are easy to pick on and then they pick on them. And that's what he was accused of punching down uh, in his comedy. And so he got offended by that. And he got his feelings were hurt. And this ironic, his feelings were hurt. And so he struck back and he's like, I'm not going to admit I punched down. You punched down to my people. And I'm like, oh, come on, dude. just admit, you know, you, you, you just, you just, you tone deaf on this thing. And, you know, I don't know. I, Ramana, people just can't say they're wrong ever. You know, I told you this already, you know, nobody can ever say, you know what, man, I screwed up. I mean, the mayor of the city of Chicago is exhibit A of that one. She'll never admit she's wrong. And the other one, the one that went to before who, whose name will not be mentioned because I've talked about him enough today, he'll never admit he's wrong, you know? So anyway, you know what? Having said all that, I urge but folks, check it out. Form your own opinion about it. I, I do believe he owes an apology to trans people, and I think he should just say, you know what? I, I went too far, but that's... I probably would never be a superstar like Dave Chappelle because I guess being a superstar like that means you never have to say you're sorry. Uh, all right, well, that's uh, we've covered it. We've covered it all, Romana. Uh, good job as always. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. See you later. All right, that's a great Romana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.